This is Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute, where we help leaders be future ready. Helping us in this mission today is Alvaro Luque, president and CEO of Avocados from Mexico. Avocados from Mexico is celebrating its 10th anniversary this month. We'll be discussing their accomplishments and learning from their past decade. We'll also be talking with their CEO about his internal thought process and what he has done that sets them apart from many other organizations. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Maureen. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Let's start with one. Congratulations on 10 years. Thank you. Thank you. We're very happy. This is a big milestone for us. We think that we have done a lot in this market. But it's only 10 years. 10 years is not a lot for many, many companies. But for us, it's a big step. It's the first decade, and we feel very proud of the results that we have so far. So thank you for the acknowledgement, and we're happy to celebrate it with you guys. 10-year journey. If we think about a person in their first 10-year of life, they go from not being able to do anything but cry to still have some dependence on family. But it's the biggest growth spurt of their lives. Tell us about that journey for you from zero to where you are now. What's happened in the last decade? Totally, right? The things that we have lived in this past decade, they're going to be there for history forever and ever, right? Crazy. For us, we feel very similar to what you were describing, right? The first years of any organization, you grow very fast. And we saw that in Avocados from Mexico. The first years, the growth was exponential. But the good thing is that if you track it from beginning to end, we haven't stopped. This company has been growing nonstop for 10 years, and we still feel that we are in a position where this can go much bigger than when we are right now. When I started as a president and CEO of this organization, the organization only had six months. So I've been almost here since the beginning. But it was an organization that was founded at the moment where we already had 60% of the avocado market in the U.S., so we had a very important consumption base that is different from other startups. And what we wanted is to make that as big as possible for the years to come and, on the other hand, create a brand. So the first things that went through my mind when I got this position was to understand very well what type of company I am and what exactly my board was expecting of me. Because even though we're called avocados from Mexico, the reality is that I'm not from Mexico and I don't sell avocados. We're 100% an American marketing company. So the first step of defining the why we exist was very important. And we finally decided that we were going to go after what we call the dual responsibility. That is create a brand in a brandless industry at the same time that I was going to concentrate on expanding the demand of avocados in the U.S. as much as possible. And the expansion word is very important because we never focused on market share. Even though there was an opportunity to go in and just take share from other competitors, that was not the thinking. The thinking was, let's try to make this pie as big as possible. And while we're doing that, Let's create a brand, a brand that will sustain value for this organization in the future. And after 10 years, I can tell you that we've been very successful in both ends of that dual responsibility. The avocados are from Mexico or no? A hundred percent. All the avocados that we represent are from Mexico, but we don't sell avocados. 
The only way that I can see a fruit is if I go to Walmart and buy some fruit. This is a company that was built to promote a brand and to promote a category. We don't grow avocados. We don't sell avocados. We just market them. Interesting. So tell me more about that, because I'm sure our listeners are having some of the same questions I am. Walk me through how it works. How it works. Okay. Let me go back a little bit and tell you the story so it's easier for you guys to understand. The Mexican avocado market was banned from the U.S. for 80 years because the U.S. was trying to protect the internal production of avocados that they have in California and a little bit in Florida. In 1997, they decided to open the market. And at that time, the U.S. made a very important decision because they said, I'm not going to go and talk to 30,000 growers that you have in Mexico and 50 packing companies. You need to be sure that you create an association that will deal with the U.S. and will make sure that the export process works the best way possible. And that's where the Mexican industry came together and created an association that is called APEAM. And APEAM holds at this moment 36,000 growers in Mexico and more than 80 packing companies. So APEAM starts in 1997. And three years after that, another big decision happened for this industry. That was that Congress passed a law where they created a checkoff program for avocados. I don't know if you know what a checkoff program is, but the U.S. has several checkoff programs on specific products that they think that they're important for the population to consume. So, for example, milk, pork, almonds, several products that are of interest for the U.S. government. They create this type of checkoff programs where, by law, now the importers and the producers of that product will have to pay X amount of cents per pound for marketing purposes. So when the U.S. decided to create that checkoff program for avocados, at that moment, they had to create another association. Now it was 100% an American association that is called Mahia, that will be the one managing the whole checkoff program for avocados in the U.S. So now you have the Mexicans on one side with APAM, you have the Americans on the other side with Mahia, and these two guys for about seven years decide to do marketing in the U.S. using the same brand, using the same logo, the same name, but not talking to each other. So they had two campaigns, one in Spanish, one in English, very complicated. Until 2012, when they come to the table and say, okay, what if we create a company? And it's the first time in history that two foreign associations through the government of the United States created a company. And that is me. So my company reports to APAM, Mexico, to Mahia, U.S., and to the USDA as well. And we are the only checkoff program where I have 100% of all the funds from the U.S. and 100% of all the funds from Mexico into one promotional program to develop Mexican avocados in the U.S. That is much more complex yes. than I imagined when we started this conversation. I know. Sometimes it's hard to understand. Even more than what I would say a traditional U.S. startup where my friends and I come together, we have a product or a process or a service we want to offer, we get funding and we do it. You've got two associations with constituents, growers, packers, and then the U.S. government. How the heck are you innovative? Well, at the beginning, that was one of my questions. Don't think that that didn't cross my mind, right? I've been a CPG marketer my whole life. And the first time that they called me to recruit me for avocados from Mexico, I was 
thinking about exactly the same thing. How am I going to report to all these people? And how am I going to be able to create a marketing program and be innovative like I like to be with my organizations? But understanding a little bit more how it worked, I thought that this was the dream job. And I was not mistaken. It has been an, an incredible opportunity because it sounds complex, but at the end, they were very good setting up the governance for these new organizations. So at the end, my daily report goes into what they call the Joint Executive Committee. It's only four people from APAM, four people from Mahia, and a couple of persons from the USDA that we meet every single month to go over the business. So it hasn't been an issue, to be honest. And the other great advantage that I've had in this position is that I found these incredible board members that let me do what I think is the best way to do it, right? And uh, we've been able to build an organization that thinks completely different from other produce companies to try things that are completely out of the box for this industry. And in 10 years, I've had that I remember once an idea that was rejected. The rest have been accepted. They trust us. They let us work. And that's been the foundation of, a, of an organization that is very innovative and that likes to think out of the box, thanks to that great governance and that great baseline that they created. Who created the governance? Did you facilitate the three entities? So this is really your thought process that allowed the organization to thrive in the way it has. No. When I got into the uh, job, it was already there. The two organizations, when they decided to build up a company, they signed the, a memorandum of understanding between the two associations. And in there, it was very clear that they were predefining how this was going to be managed. So I have to give all the kudos and all the recognition to them because they did it very, very well. After 10 years, I can tell you, we're still working exactly the same as we started and it's still working very well for all of us. Walk us through some of the results you've seen and some of the big ideas that you've put forth. I want to hear some stories about what you've done. Yeah. Well, I think that it's hard to ignore that the biggest idea and challenge that we put in the table was becoming a Super Bowl advertiser. It was actually my first meeting as a president and CEO of the company. I had, at that moment, three months in the job, and I came in and said, Listen, based on, on what we needed at that moment, because we had 60% of the market at that moment, but we had a very, very complicated situation that even though we were very strong in terms of volume share, our consumer brand preference was only 20%. And most of the Americans preferred California vocals at that time, even though they had only 20% of the market. So what I told them at that moment is we're a very weak brand in the mind of consumers. And if we're going to create this brand and we're going to create this value, we need to reinforce that connection with the consumer. So the Super Bowl, the first time, was a great opportunity for us to come in and just hit the table and say, we are avocados from Mexico. We have 60% of this market. By the way, avocados were originated in Mexico, not in everyone else. And we're coming from the, for this market. We want to build a brand. We want to be something. And it worked better than what we expected. From one moment to the other, this company and this brand that no one knew about 
was in CNN, Forbes, Time, Fortune, all the big, big names out there because we were the underdog that no one was expecting in the Super Bowl. First ever produce brand, first ever fresh brand, first ever Mexico-associated brand to advertise in the Super Bowl. So that definitely changed the game for us. And that gave us the muscle to start developing a brand. That was one of the two responsibilities that we had established at the beginning. So when we did that first Super Bowl with that specific objective that I just told you, but then after seeing the results of that Super Bowl, we opened our eyes and we said, okay, here's something different. We can actually use the Super Bowl in a different way. What if we continue doing the Super Bowl, but use this platform to create the brand and create the brand story through time? Because usually the Super Bowl for other brands, it's the perfect stage to launch a new product, to launch a new packaging or a new campaign. In our case, it was the only opportunity that I had throughout the year for people to pay attention to me in a different way. So I said, okay, let's use this platform to start creating the brand communication elements that I want to build up for the future. And that is where something very special for us came to life. That is what we call the power trifecta. And let me explain that because it's very unique to our calls from Mexico. But uh, when you're in a supermarket as a consumer, usually in your cart, you will have brands that will represent that need that you have to be healthy because you want to take care of yourself. And also you will have brands in there that you crave because of their flavor. You like how they taste, even though they're not usually not healthy for you. And also you will have brands that will be fun to spend time with, right? Like M&Ms and other brands, Skittles and all those type of things that will make you happy in the moment, right? So based on our research, we believe that avocados have this ability of having the three things at the same time. And that's what we call the power trifecta that we can be healthy, fun, and delicious at the same time. So fun, delicious. And healthy. And healthy. So taking the story from there, let me give you an example of that trifecta. If you eat a kale salad, for example, I'm pretty sure that you're going to be very healthy, but you're not going to be laughing when you're eating that salad, right? If you eat a whole pizza, you'll be very happy because it's going to be a, a very craveable and fun and delicious time. After eating the pizza, you're not going to be very happy with the result, right? But avocados have this strange ability of having the three things. People love the flavor of a guacamole that's almost impossible to ignore in any table. But at the same time, we're super fun because we're usually related to specific moments in time where you're having fun with your friends, with your family, Cinco de Mayo, Super Bowls, parties, all that. But the great thing about it is that even though you're dipping chips into a guacamole, the consumer mind is that you're eating something healthier for you because we have those good fats that are very unique. So that power trifecta is very important. And if you see our Super Bowl history, after that first Super Bowl that we did in 2015, the three Super Bowls that we did after that was exactly a trifecta. We talked about fun, delicious, and healthy because we were trying to build up that story through time. I actually eat avocados on my kale salad, so <laughs> have I now hit the double healthy? There you go. <laughs> and made kale fun. And That's exactly how we want you to do it, right? We can play in that healthy lifestyle that you want, 
but bring a little flavor and fun to a kale salad. Poor kale guys. We like them a lot. So you've highlighted this in the Super Bowl. Is this what's driving the demand? Because you've still got avocados that once I peel the label off and I put them on my salad, like when I go to a restaurant, there's often avocados on my salad, but I have no idea where they come from. Yes. And I typically don't ask because it's not like I get to choose where they come from. It sounds like you're building the category. And while you may be competing with avocados from the U.S., you are also elevating everyone's sales. Yes. Actually, when we decided to have that dual responsibility and our job was to expand the market, we knew that we were going to help some other origins grow. But my mind was always on how to make this pie bigger, more than just focus on the other 30% or 35% that I didn't have at that time. I think that Super Bowl has a lot to do on the brand building side, definitely on the volume side because the Super Bowl is so big for us. But to sustain the volume throughout the year, it takes more than Super Bowl. And in that case, that's the other big strategy that we applied for the company that is how to develop demand. And when we thought about it at the beginning, the way that we explained it as a strategy for the board was, I want to be the first produce brand with a CPG mentality. I want to think like Pepsi. I want to think like Coca-Cola. I want to think like Procter & Gamble, but then apply that to the fresh industry. And I'm going to build up a company of people that are coming from CPG, not from produce, to apply all their experiences into the produce category. So if you see my team that I build up, they all come from CPG. They don't come from pineapples and uh, cucumbers, right? So that definitely changes the way that we've been applying our shopper marketing, trade marketing, food service strategies to the U.S., We've been able to partner with amazing national CPG brands. So the way that we build up our promotions for avocados from Mexico is with Coca-Cola, with Bud Light, with Heineken, with the biggest brands out there that have never interacted with produce. Those are my partners that we have been building up the company for 10 years. We develop a very strong merchandising focus and program to be sure that we have more fruit in the floor throughout the year. In this past decade, we've been able to sell in close to 1.7 million displays in, into the point of sales, creating thousands and thousands of thousands of tons of extra avocados and millions of pounds, if you see it from the pound perspective, thanks to that ability. And the other th great thing is that we saw since the beginning the great opportunity that we have in food service. So we have not only partnered with most of the biggest brands in the food service space in the past decade, but we wanted to create an experience out of avocados. So uh, we've done many crazy things from building up the first Polish casual restaurant for avocados in the world to have our own avocado-focused concession stands in multiple stadiums around the country to create our own avocado laboratory and culinary center that we have in Dallas, where we have Avocado University that is the only certified avocado training program in the world. So the experience is another part that has been very important for us to develop the market. And using those two platforms of thinking like a CPG and using the Super Bowl on the other side have been the ones that have made our numbers come through 
and be sure that we were true to that dual responsibility. I love the idea that you are partnering. So growing the market overall, I'm just imagining a Budweiser commercial with Budweiser and guacamole dip more than kale salads. I would love that. (laughs) To the point of I often eat salads in restaurants. Yes. And so there is a marketing to restaurants that would be here are some menu items that include avocados as a primary food source so that you are building demand that way. Yeah, totally. One of the things of how we have built this organization is that we are strict believers in research and insights and whys. So we studied very well the recipe culinary side of avocados. And there are four things in this country that really drive avocado consumption. Salads that you mentioned very well, and you're 100% right. Obviously, guacamole. I cannot ignore that. It's such big usage. But the other two represent probably the biggest opportunity that we have out there. One is American handhelds, as we call it, that is sandwiches, burgers, and toast. And the other one is what we call Mexican handhelds that are tacos and quesadillas. And the taco one is, for example, is very eye-opening for us because it's hard to imagine another recipe that will go better with avocados than tacos, right? Both coming from Mexico, hard to see a taco that cannot go with avocados. But the reality is that the numbers that we have is that probably around 3% of all the tacos in the U.S. have avocados. The other 97% that are served, they don't have avocados. So the opportunity that we have on the food service side to grow the business is incredible. And then quinoa bowls. That's the other. That probably goes in the salad category. Well, you got it right. Actually, we've been debating to change. We usually don't do a lot of changes in our strategic framework that we have kept very solid for many years. But one of the changes that we are open to do based on some recent research is including bowls. Bowls is a phenomenon in the U.S. There's not a bowl out there in many different cuisines that doesn't go with avocados. So I think that you just mentioned our next change in our framework. As you do that, I'm imagining there are people who use avocados well, and there are people who kill the avocado in the process of making their bowl. Yes. So that the university and the culinary side is going to be crucial to ensuring that avocados get to stay in the bowls because they're prepared properly. A hundred percent. And I love this conversation because it seems like we're going exactly through my strategic framework, right? We talked about the brand, the power trifecta. We talked about the channels with my four core uses. And now you mentioned something very important for us that we saw at the beginning as a great opportunity. And that actually is the reason why we decided to go for expansion more than market domination because there are two generic things in the avocado industry that we cannot claim that are 100% Mexican, but they are very important to develop the market. The number one driver of the category is health and wellness and healthy fats. And I cannot say that avocados from Mexico are healthier than a California avocado. But as a leader, I have the responsibility of developing the communications on health and wellness. So we have a separate campaign just on health that, again, is going to help other players in the market. But I want to be sure that we open up consumption as much as possible. The other big element is exactly what you mentioned, that is education. Education is the number one barrier for the industry. 
because people are still confused on three things that you can have issues with when you're dealing with avocados. First one is picking the right avocado, knowing exactly how to go to a store and touch or see the avocado that you want and take that home. The second issue is how to control ripeness of that avocado because sometimes you want it to speed up and sometimes you want it to delay ripeness. But the biggest issue of all is the third one. And the third one is what to do with the other half. Actually, that's the biggest question that we get in social media and in our website because usually people eat one half of an avocado. But then how to preserve the other half so you can consume it, that's the biggest, biggest issue that we have. So we've invested a lot of money in a separate generic education campaign where our brand can have that position of being the leader that is communicating the right aspects and elements of that education strategy. Even though we're helping other players, we're making the category bigger. So generics, very important in our strategy. I love the idea of growing the category because we win when we expand the pie, not when we try to bludgeon our competitors. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Imagine that when I started, our imports were around a billion, a billion one of avocados, and I didn't have 30% of the market. So if I would have decided to go after market share, it would have been 300 million extra pounds that I would look for. Looking at it as the expansion opportunity that we wanted, we were able to double the market in seven years. So now we're talking about a market that is over 2.5 billion pounds a year thanks to the expansion that we had since the beginning. That mindset was a game changer. As we are in this world of dramatic change and adjacent companies entering markets and all of these other factors that are so unknown, moving beyond, quote, winning, being defined by exiting my competitor and really looking at expanding with adjacencies and things like my example of Budweiser with guacamole or whoever with guacamole. Yes. For me, it would be a bottle of wine with guacamole, which doesn't <laughs> show as well on the Super Bowl, probably. <laughs> that works 100%. And you're right, because as marketers, we need to think different, right? At the end, when the consumer is, is out there in a supermarket buying avocados, especially for a category that is in fresh, they're not thinking at the beginning of what brand exactly I'm going to go after. I want them to think avocados from Mexico, but that's a process that we've been building up. But the reality is that I'm competing with one stomach. If they are not going to fill it up with avocados, they're going to fill it up with pizza or with hot dogs or with cookies or something else. If I don't have that mentality that my opportunity out there is beyond the avocado business, then I will never grow. Every time that I do a conference, everyone asks me the same thing. Who's your competitor? And they're expecting that I'm going to go and say, avocados from California, that's my competitor. But I always say my competitor number one is bacon. And people say, bacon? Why bacon with avocados? And I say, listen, if you go to your favorite burger restaurant or sandwich restaurant and you want to make that sandwich or that burger better, you add bacon or you add avocado. So that's the thinking that I need to have, how to take mayonnaise out, how to take bacon out, how to take dressings out and put avocados in there more than going after California. There's even avocado dressing. There's avocado spray for my pan. Totally. It's in everything. It's in everything. It's in everything. And a part of that, even though it's, it's not part of our program because the USDA is very strict that we only work with whole fruit. So uh, at the end, it makes me happy because... 
that's top of mind that we need. We need to be sure that avocado shows up in many ways. I was the other day looking at a mattress company that their brand is avocado, and I was very happy. I hope that those guys do great because that's more awareness of our category. So it is a passion, right? I've been very fortunate to work with different companies, different countries around the world, and I've never seen the passion that you can see in the American consumer with a category like avocados is beyond anything that I've imagined. One quick story from me before we go into how you lead. My mom was a big fan of avocados. So we would have avocados in our food. And then she would always try to stick the toothpicks in the seeds and stick them in water. And they would always root. We never got an avocado off one of those things. But our kitchen window was always full of avocado seeds in these little ugly plastic glasses. So (laughs) I love that story. Avocados were part of my childhood. Ah, I love that story. I've tried to do it myself. It's hard. It's hard to grow an an avocado tree, especially here in Dallas, Texas. In a windowsill. Yes. (laughs) Let's now talk about what is it about your leadership style that has allowed this level of innovation? Because I heard even during this conversation that you stick to the playbook, which makes sense, that we've got a core purpose. We've got a process. We're efficient and effective in our work. And yet when we identify innovations like the bowls, we will, what I think I heard is systemically evaluate our strategy and figure out how they fit, not just haphazardly put new stuff around the place. I love the way that you frame it because it's very similar to how I think. I'm a huge believer in balance. I always say that to my team. I love creativity. I'm a marketing guy, so don't get me wrong. I love crazy ideas. But I'm the first one to think that creativity needs accountability. You need to have that balance, right? If I'm doing something crazy out of the box, it needs to have a why first, and it needs to have results after that. So the way that my thinking process goes, and I always explain it with this quadrant to my people and friends, that is, uh, it goes from the why, the thinking, the strategy, to the disruption, that is something that is very important for me. I love disrupting. I love to do things different, but to be sure that I already set the playground where I'm going to be disruptive based on the strategy. And once I do that, I measure. I measure results and measure results. And I'm very strict with performance and performance and performance. And I think that if you do these three things consistently, you're going to have a culture. That is the fourth one. And that goes around and goes around and goes around. And that process, you can apply it in a single program. You can apply it in your day life. And uh, you can apply it for yourself even. Just did a a conference uh, exactly on that, how I apply my thinking on my career. And it's exactly the same thing. So I want to be sure that people understand that. So my thinking and my leadership is to try to give them the tools so that those four things could work as as much as possible. I am very focused on our planning process, for example. I'm very focused and involved in my strategic framework of the companies. So that why is very clear for the organization. Then I work a lot on the innovation processes and how to think differently. I have my innovation champions in the company that work directly with me creating those programs and trainings to be sure that people keep on thinking different. Then I put a lot of emphasis on performance. So I created our own performance program and platform for the organization. 
And it was a challenge at the beginning because, like I told you, we don't sell anything, right? I'm used to working companies where my performance is very easy. Did we make the EBITDA or not? That's it. That's the only question that we want to know at the end of the year. But we don't have an EBITDA in this company, right? So I needed to do something different. So I started studying OKRs and I created an OKR program based on goals, metrics, and now the company from our office assistant to myself, we're 100% measurable throughout the year. I changed it 100% the uh, performance review process because I wanted to take subjectivity as much as possible from the process and try to put everything in uh, objective numbers, measurable results. And then I've been working a lot with my HR team on the culture map and trying to develop that purpose for the organization, those values for the organization. And one of those values, for example, exemplifies very well to what we're discussing right now. One of our values is innovation that matters. Why? Because I want to be sure that people keep on thinking different, but it has to matter. It has to move the results. It has to move the needle. If not, we will go after shiny objects, and I'm a big, big enemy of shiny objects. You've talked about innovation. What are the other elements of your culture? Obviously, collaboration, very important. Very important to be sure that the company is transparent, that is clear, that has values that will defend the employees. So we have two values very ingrained on that, all for you going after your teamwork. Then we have innovation uh, that I already told you. We have another one that we call smart performance that is basically all the other part of measuring to be sure that we focus on the big things, be sure that we measure everything. And the fifth one is very important for us because I am a big believer that for this brand, based on our trifecta that I was uh, explaining to you guys, a fun has to be a very important part of it. So when we started, one of the big parts of that strategic framework that we created at the beginning was our essence, our soul as an organization, as a brand. We call it Mexicanity. And why why Mexicanity? I didn't want to be super ingrained on Mexican stereotypes. Actually, you will never see a mariachi here in this company more than the bear that I have on my back that was our first Super Bowl ad. So we tried to stay away from that stereotypical Mexican things that we sometimes have in mind. And I saw this when I was in Mission Foods, the same thing with tortillas. If you sit down and try to open up a brain of an American and see down there what's Mexico for them, there, there could be positive elements and could be negative elements that you have in your opinion. But at the end, it's going to end up in your friends, Cancun, there was a bottle of tequila, a piñata, a mariachi. It was colorful. It was vibrant. It was a good moment. Or it was your favorite Mexican restaurant in, in your neighborhood or that, that Cinco de Mayo party with your co-workers. There's, a, there's an element of positiveness, of vibrancy, of colorful vibrancy behind that brand that I wanted, behind Mexico, I'm sorry, that I wanted to take with my brand. And that's what we call Mexicanity. So our fifth value is what we call spark the good times. That is basically how to bring to life Mexicanity for the brand, the company, the employees. I love the idea of inspiring, fun but counterbalanced with a rigorous focus on strategy, understanding our why, being accountable, delivering results, staying away from shiny things. Because often we have fun and over-index on the fun and under-index on the results or over-index on results. We don't like our work. 
And we have to be careful going both extremes, right? Because on one side, if I focus too much on results, 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 then I'm not going to break the mold. I'm always going to be trying to look for the safe thing to do, and I'm going to lose relevancy in the market. That is something that for us has been a very good way of building this organization and this brand. But on the other hand, if I go after every single crazy thing that is out there, I'm not going to move the needle. And sometimes you need to fight that fight. I fought it some years ago. I remember very well fighting against a lot of people with the metaverse, for example. And I was like, it's very cool. I don't see the numbers on why we need to do that. And there were some innovative people that we have in the company. They really wanted to do it and they really want to try out. But thinking that we need to, at the end, to deliver a success story, I didn't see it. And I didn't see it at that time. And I think that I made the right choice at the end. Where's the metaverse, right? So sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you don't. But if you believe in that balance, at least you're going to be true to a leadership style. You're going to be true to a thinking that you can keep consistent throughout the years. What you said and how you said it was so important. Sometimes you're going to be right. Sometimes you're going to be wrong. How do you navigate, you make a decision, you go down a path, and you get additional information over time, and you want to shift? How does that look if I work for you? Well, we do many times have to go back and change our strategy, not only with brands, with company. Uh, recently, we wanted to um, restructure part of our company, and we thought that that was the right way to do it, create the positions that we thought that we were going to do. And... Uh, no, it was not working the way that we wanted. And we had to talk about it and go back and ask for forgiveness. And sometimes uh, when you have to do it, explain when you need to explain. But if it's the right way to do it, we need to do it, right? I, I think that one of the worst things that you can do as a leader is to know that you're making a mistake and be proud enough not to change the way. You can ask for forgiveness or not. You can do it in many different ways. But if you know that you're going the right direction, you need to change. And that's something that we have done in, in the past and we will continue doing. We talk about leadership mindsets and seven of them that drive success, especially in times of volatility. And one is professional humility and another is focus on getting it right over being right. We all get additional information. We put something forward, we experiment, or we think we have the answer and we implement. And then we discover that what we believed to be the proper approach just is incomplete. Yeah. For example, I'm the one leading up the planning process. This is one of my things that I want to develop and leave as a legacy for this organization. And we ended up our planning process in May. And one of the first things that I did was went to my direct reports and tell them what was wrong about that. Tell me everything that you will change for the next process because I know that I want to do it again and I will do it again because it's something that I believe in that the company needs, but I need to understand that it's not perfect. Then I have great people working with me that will have great ideas how to make this perfect and, and better. And we actually came and developed a document on how to make our process better. And all of that is going to be implemented right now when we start our new planning process in, in December. So it's not only listening to them, it's actually coming through and, and walk the talk, right? Because it's easy to ask, but to do the changes is not, it's not easy sometimes. But I think that you have to do it. If not, they're not going to believe in you the next time that you ask. What I hear is two sides. You've got what I would call continuous improvement. We do something 
and we do an after action report and we come up with better ideas and we implement them. Yeah. And then you also have innovations that may be more greenfield or more unique than improving a current process. Can you talk a little bit about, I think you said you have an innovation team reporting to you. Yes. What we do is that part of my way of developing the organization is that I have five things that I focus on that I call the creed and culture is development, is empowerment, engagement. And in my empowerment pillar, I created these champions around the organization. So they know that they are the ones that are going to be driving key pillars of the organization. So I have one champion for health and wellness, one champion for education, one champion for brand, one champion for innovation. We recently hired a new marketing vice president that is going to have that responsibility of now assuming the role that my later marketing vice president had as the innovation champion. And with them, they will create a lot of things that they would like to do, but they will continue some processes that are important for us. We have innovation awards in the company. We have an innovation training program. We, a couple of years ago, took almost half of the organization. It's a small company, so we had the opportunity of taking close to half of the organization to Yale University to do a three-day training just on innovative thinking. We work with Can Can Lions to give us specific training on how to think different, how to uh, break the mold when we're thinking about those projects. We try as an organization to keep on going with this innovative and out-of-the-box thinking. But at the same time, again, because I'm a big believer in balance, I have my check and balances. I'm pushing on, give me the numbers, give me the numbers, give me the results, right? So I believe if you get to that balance, you're going to be very successful. So it sounds like anyone in the company can have an innovative idea. You don't have the people over here who are special and innovative and everybody else just does their jobs. That's very, very important what you said, because it is very hard sometimes to convince that finance or HR could be as innovative as marketing. In many organizations, especially when when you're very strong on the digital marketing side, it's hard to compete, right? If you're doing something with AI, well, it's hard to find a project on HR that will compete with AI, right? But the idea is to frame the innovative thinking in a different way. One of the processes that we still have pending to do it the way that I would love to is an innovative process where we democratize innovation a lot. So we uh, know that if we set specific specific boundaries and expectations, we know that we can promote those departments to be innovative and don't have to compete with technology and digital marketing every single time. But that's what we need. We need the organization to think differently. Our CFO, for example, I would say that is one of the most innovative people that we have in this organization. This guy is always thinking how to do things different, how to bring new processes, how to bring new ideas, new tools. And that's what I want. I want the whole organization to think like that and not only digital technological side of the business to be the ones that highlight that innovative thinking. That's so crucial because especially back to the VUCA AI world, we are going to be seeing transformation in every facet of our organizations. And if innovation only comes from your marketing folks, you're leaving a lot of opportunity on the table. They need to see it and not only on technological tools, right? It's 
is innovative to apply innovation to be different and to be better. So there are many ways that you can do it that doesn't have to be technologically driven. But I think that we need to be sure that we set up that process. And that's one part from my four corners of my thinking. That's the one that I'm still missing. I really want to finish up that innovative process for the organization to keep on going for the future. One thing I'll assert is how much it connects to the company culture and the idea that when people feel supported, they are comfortable putting new ideas forward. And when they don't feel supportive, they're in a more protective mode. Yes. And it sounds like you're very supportive in your engagement and your empowerment objectives and pillars. Yes. We try as much as possible to be sure that that innovation moves the needle. I think that the part that we still need to work on a little bit more is to be open on some innovation that could be faster, less impactful, but that will keep the company going, especially the innovative thinking going. We're great on that on the digital side. There are smaller projects that we can do and we can test, and that's perfect. Hard to do that in other parts of the organization where they're more focused on really moving the needle, right? I have a full department that is dedicated on developing demand. They don't lose time. These guys are day-to-day seeing how to move the needle. So sometimes sitting down and thinking about new stuff, it could be seen as a waste of time of everything that else that I need to do. As an organization, as a leader, I think that we need to get better on that and be sure that we have those processes for them to continue doing it for the future. This company has grown. We have changed some of the key positions in the organization, and we want to be sure that they continue with the same type of DNA that we created at the beginning when we developed this organization. These 10 years have been exceptionally successful for us, right? We've done everything that we wanted. We were able to double the market in seven years. We were able to triple brand preference in 10 years to become by far the preferred brand of our cows in the U.S. We're now having an economic output in the U.S. of more than $11 billion a year, creating thousands of jobs in Mexico, thousands of jobs in the U.S. So, so the story is beautiful, but it's very important that we think about the next 10 years and that we keep that DNA going. And to keep that DNA going, you need that innovative thinking in there. That leads perfectly into, for the next 10 years, do you have a moonshot target? If you and I were still working in our same roles a decade from now and we're celebrating 20 years, what would we be talking about? Part of our planning process includes one thing that I've been pushing for the organization for some years that is a a big hug. I'm a big fan of, of Jim Collins. And uh, I love this idea of the big, hairy, audacious goals, right? So each one of us, each one of the heads of the department, including me as, a, as head of the organization, we have a hug. It's a terrible term. Oh, you don't like it? It's a terrible term. <laughs> no, hairy. The word hairy should never be associated with goals. I know. That's why I said moonshot. It's hairy and audacious, so it's scary. So... My uh, moonshot, let's put it like that. My moonshot is two things. I want to be sure that that we become the most innovative produce brand in the world. I think that we're not far from being that. Knowing this market, the things that we're doing in the U.S., we're out there big time. But my other part of my moonshot is very hard. That is making the U.S. the number one per capita consumption country for our cows in the world. Right now, thanks to everything that we have done, 
and our parent companies and either other origins have done in the business, the U.S. is the number one country in the world for avocado consumption. But per capita, no. That's a big uh, objective because Mexico is still probably doubled from where we are. If we have this opportunity of having this conversation in 10 years, I want that per capita, 100%. Yes. What a wonderful story. And thank you for celebrating with us. So it's this month that is your celebration. How are you personally celebrating and what are you doing with your team? And this is the opportunity to talk about how much fun you're having. Oh, amazing. Fun is part of, of what we do, right? So we've been celebrating nonstop. We, uh, uh, some weeks ago, did our official celebration with our board. We brought to Dallas the people, not only the founders that hire me, that I know them very well. We went back to the guys that had the original ideas of opening up the market 20, 30 years ago. And we created this beautiful ceremony where we had these 50 key people that have developed this dream for the future. We did a booklet for them. We uh, celebrated them. So that started very well. A couple of weeks after that, we did our official AFM celebration, unveiling our new avocado lab laboratory here in Dallas, where we have our new mixology area, where we have our new culinary area for chefs. We invited press. We've had our second big party. And last week, we did our third one in the number one produce show in the U.S., where we unveil our infographic of the 10 big impacts of our cows from Mexico in the last 10 years. So it's been a nonstop celebration for us, a party. We don't have a specific date because many have different dates. And when we was founded, the company is this year. So my idea is to continue celebrating until December the 31st. How are you going to personally celebrate? Because I assume you work a lot of hours and you have people around you who see you less because of your commitment and your professional success. How do you celebrate with them? We do a lot of different activities here in the company. I'm very present in the organization. We have a culture committee that we created here, and these guys do an amazing job keeping us happy and supporting our biggest programs. One of them, for example, last week was an amazing moment because we've been a, a very good partner of Susan G. Komen. We really like the idea of supporting our number one target with breast cancer awareness. And so right now it's our third year and now we became the largest activation of Susan G. Komen in produce in history. Last week at this show, it was the pink walk here in Dallas. And uh, we have one very important cancer survivor in our workforce that is a, like a hero for all of us. And she was going to make a speech in that walk. But unfortunately, most of us were in this show. So I was the one working with the team and we went 100% pink. All the company went pink in the show. All our screens and everything else went pink to be sure that we as a team were not only supporting our cause, but we were supporting her, that she was here in Dallas doing that by herself or not with a lot of people. So that's the spirit that I want in this company. I want to be sure that we're all together, that we are having fun, that we're developing together this dream. And I still think that we have so, so many things to accomplish and so many things to have fun with that we're going to keep on being busy for the next years to come. I love that avocados are healthy. We've heard that I prefer them with my kale <laughs> yes. rather than chips. Yes. And that you are also supporting breast cancer. Yes. 
and humans who have suffered. Yes. And listen, it's an amazing program for us. We're not only, I think that part is probably forever and ever because this is working for us, for our brand, but also we know that we're trying to do good. We have a very important restriction that sometimes people don't know because at this moment, we're probably the number one marketing program for produce in the U.S. So it's very easy for many organizations to come to us and ask for support. And they don't know that one of my big restrictions that I have with the USDA is that I cannot do charity at any way. That's a big no-no in the process of a checkoff program. So I need to find ways on how to support the brand, but at the same time do good. And I think that Susan G. Common is a great way to do it. And we actually found the second one that I'm very, very happy to say, because actually it was unveiled today in one article that we put out together with that age. That is that we wanted to have a college ball because football is so important for avocados, right? In this country, when you throw a football the first time in September, guacamole sales go to the roof, right? There's an association with guacamole and football that we love. And this is the first year that we're going big with college football. We became the first ever produce brand to be a part of the CFP, the college football playoffs. And the other step that we wanted is to, we wanted to own a bowl. And the first, when we saw it, we said, this is the greatest opportunity of all. And we are announcing today that we are going to have our own bowl that is the Cure Bowl. That is a bowl that is dedicated 100% to cancer research. Every single penny that is generated by this bowl will go to cancer research to support organizations like Susan G. Komen and other type of organizations. So... That's the pink bridge that we wanted to build from October with Susan G. Komen to December 16, where we're going to do our first ever Avocados for Mexico Cure Bowl. Thank you. This has just been so insightful. And I love ending on the social mission and how you are able to promote health, be successful, and support social missions as well. So thank you so much. How would people reach out to you, follow you? learn more about your journey. I would love to connect with anyone in LinkedIn. I have a lot of uh, good followers in there and I've tried to keep them informed of the things that we do. So please look for me in LinkedIn any any moment to connect. I will be happy to. And if not, avocadosformexico.com. You can find there whatever you need on the company. And I'm here in Dallas, Texas, where we have our hub and always hope and happy to host uh, good friends. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, thank you for engaging with us, eating avocados, <laughs> following, liking, and sharing our content. And most of all, for the contribution you make to the world by leading better, we create a better world. Love it. Thank you, Maureen, for this opportunity. And thank you for giving me a space to tell our story and to really try to do what we're trying to do, that is make people happy and healthy. That's my job in the world, and we're going to continue doing it. Thank you, Alvaro. I really appreciate everything you're doing. Appreciate it. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Innovative Leadership Institute, working with companies that recognize the need to upskill their leaders and transform their organizations. What worked yesterday won't work today, and what works today won't work tomorrow. We help executive teams prepare for accelerated uncertainty by creating the foresight needed to stay competitive. 
elevating leaders to succeed, and transforming organizations to become future-ready. If you'd like to discuss how we can help prepare your organization for tomorrow, please visit InnovativeLeadership.com and click Contact Us.